0: blessed father's day to all our fathers and uh, you know from uh, from the scriptures fathers are the molders of the identity and destinies of their children we exercise influence because god has given us the authority to mentor our children so that we can prepare them for to fulfill god's unique purposes for each of them fathers play a major role not only in uh, building society, but in building nations. In fact, as we are looking into the story of Abraham, and we started a series of studies on the story of Abraham, you begin to discover that Abraham was called to be a father of a great and powerful nation. But that promise will only be fulfilled if, according to God, he will mentor his children in the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In other words, the father's role is to prepare the next generation to become a generation of hope for the world. And every child born into this world that a father is called to mentor is a seed of hope for mankind. And how fathers will mold those precious lives, will determine the future of any nation. That's why as fathers, we're not just bringing up children, we are building a nation through them. Can I say that to the person beside you? You're not just bringing up children, you are building a nation through your children. You have seen uh, research before that I presented to you, how one father can impact many generations to come. We talk about Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes. Remember those two uh, subjects of research? Uh, how Their influence of their lives were, were studied. How their lives impacted future generations of descendants. And we saw that the descendants of Jonathan Edwards helped America became a great nation. Well, the descendants of Max Jukes was an alcoholic, you know, who married a prostitute who was a who never was able to keep a job, cursed his children every day. Uh, Actually, his descendants became a real scourge to the American nation because of that research. So we see that fathers affect generations to come. When God looks at a father, he doesn't just look at an individual. As you look at the Word of God and understand how God sees fathers, he sees fathers as generational beings because he sees generations beyond you. How you conduct your life today is going to affect the next generation and generations to come. That's why the compromises of one generation will corrupt the next one. And we saw that historically portrayed in the Bible in the story of the book of Judges, where the Joshua generation failed to mentor their children in the ways of the Lord, and that one generation, their compromises of disobedience towards God's commands, influenced the next generation towards uh, rebelling against God, and that rebellion cycled through seven generations, seven, sorry, seven periods of judges until later on, it also affected the uh, history of Israel after that until God finally had to destroy he, he, the, uh, the nation because they have failed this purpose in the world. And it all started because there were a generation of fathers who failed to do their jobs. You understand this? Because if you're going, if you're going to put a big signpost above the Philippines, I would put there, wanted real fathers. Amen? The devil knows that fathers are the seed of generations. The devil knows that if fathers do their job, he will have uh, bigger problems trying to distort and corrupt generations. That's why today we find so many what? Fatherless children. We are bringing up a generation of fatherless children and the population is growing every month. We have a growing population of single mothers. And what will happen to these fatherless children? Who's going to mentor them in the right path? Who's going to teach them the right values? Who will model for them the right, kind of, the right way of life that will ultimately will make them a blessing to society and to the nation? It takes fathers to do that. That's why when fathers becomes the hope of the next generation, then the next generation rises up to become the hope of the nation. Can we say that together? When fathers become the hope of the next generation, that the next generation rises up to be the hope of the nation. That's why the key to the future of a nation are the fathers of our generation. Because whatever happens there in the future is determined by how we conduct ourselves and how we build our children in our generation. Amen? The story of Abraham, as we go through this uh, powerful story, will help us understand more the key role of fathers, okay? But it will also have many lessons for us regarding security, okay? Uh, You know, men are more concerned with identity or significance. Women are more concerned with security, okay? And we will learn those two important points in the story of Abraham, how God provided identity or significance for Abraham and gave him uh, Security that nothing on earth can give him. And so we're going to take a look at Abram's story from fear to faith. He became known as the father of faith because he faced so many tests and he passed. Although at the beginning, he was in fear. It was a journey from fear to faith. So how many of you who are fathers here are quite apprehensive about what's going on in your family, maybe in your in your economic life, you're really struggling right now, okay? And I see the hands of those fathers struggling with so many concerns and uncertainties, okay? So, thank you, okay? So these are the real fathers. They're honest enough to admit it, okay? There are no perfect fathers, okay? There are only fathers who become better, but never perfect. But fathers are called upon by God, like Abraham, his original name was Avram, and later on, God changed his name to Avraham, which is a father of a multitude, while Avraham simply means exalted father, okay? And so, to become the father of a great and powerful nation, Avram must pass many tests of faith, because what enables a man to remain committed to God and his will is his faith in God. Once he loses that faith, he loses his bearings, and he begins to what? Live his life on his own, based on his own uh, opinions, his ideas. He will no longer be governed by the will of God. That is why fathers, first of all, must be fathers of faith. Amen? And I say to the person beside you, fathers must be men of faith. Number one quality of my fathers. If you want to be successful as a father, if you want to be strong as a father, you must build your faith in God. Everything begins with faith. Okay. Once you lose that faith, that's when you begin to break apart as a father and as a man. Okay. So take a look at the story of Abram, Okay. Can we jump now to the slide? Okay. See in Genesis eleven, we see this thing. We talked about this just last Sunday. The journey of Abraham. Abraham. This is original name is Avram, Okay. His father is Terach. <laughs> this is a Terah. Terach. Terach took his son Avram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Avram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Remember, we told about this story. So where did Avram and his father came from? Terah. They came from Ur of Chaldees, of the, Chaldees or the Chaldeans. Ur was the most the richest city in the ancient kingdom of Sumer. Can you say Sumer? If you study secular history, you'll discover that Sumer was the first civilization after the Universal Flood. In fact, the excavation in Sumer present, right now in present-day Iraq unveiled a huge library, particularly in Nidiveh, okay? A huge library of, of clay tablets containing coniform script dating back to the days after the Flood, that talk that Sumer was the first civilization after the Universal Flood. And they talk about a civilization that existed before the Flood, and how the kingship was taken, given by the gods to human beings, and later on ultimately led to the destruction of the Universal Flood, and that Sumer was the first civilization after that, okay? Sumer actually, is the same word but in a different language to our biblical Shinar. Shinar was the place where the descendants of Noah, according to Genesis chapter 10, 11, migrated, okay? Remember the the Ark of Noah, uh, the Ark of Noah, okay? Rested on the Urartu, in other words, Mount Ararat. And later on, the descendants of Noah started to migrate eastward and later on settled, according to uh, chapter 11, if you can show that, in chapter 11 of Genesis. So you see the background here. Chapter 11, verse 1 up to verse 2, okay? This is the land of Shinar. Shinar is simply the Hebrew cognate of the uh, Akkadian term Sumer, Sumerians. How many of you have heard of the ancient Sumerians? Yeah. If you want to know what was the civilization that came from Noah after the flood, then you study the history of Sumer, okay? Can you show that please? Genesis 11, verse uh, 1 to 2. Okay, so now, during that time, now the whole earth had one language and had the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So they had one language before that, okay? And later on, they migrated. These are descendants of Noah. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, that's Hebrew for Sumer, okay, and settled there. Next verse. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks. It's very interesting that excavations in the ancient city of Ur, which is part of Sumer, okay, in Iraq today, have shown that many of their houses were made of brick. The particular building material mentioned here, Okay. And bake them fully, and they use bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. So I'm not going to go beyond that. So Shinar, Shinar. And Ur, the city of uh, Abraham and his father, is in the land of Shinar or Sumer. Okay? Now, why do you think that Terah, let's go back to our outline, why do you think that Terah left Ur when Ur was the, most, was the most affluent city in Sumer? In fact, during the time of King Ur Namu, can we say Ur he was the first king of the most powerful dynasty in Ur. He became king of Ur, Sumer, and Akkad. Akkad was, the, was a city in the north that later became the center of an empire, okay, north of Sumer. And Sumer, later on, when the Akkadian, Akkadian Empire or the Empire of Akkad fell to the Gutians. The Gutians, these were nomadic tribes that invaded from the north and ultimately dis- defeated the Akkadian Empire to the north. After the fall of the Akkadian Empire, Sumer began to rise up under Ur-Nami to become the most powerful kingdom in the Mesopotamian Valley. And that was where the father of Abraham and Abram came from, from Ur of the Chaldees. Do you understand this? The excavations in Ur revealed, listen to this, excavations in Ur reveal that Ur was a commercial center and all the major trading routes in the ancient world in the Middle East Converge in ore because it was near the Persian Gulf, okay? There were many trades taking place at, along the sea and along the land. And they discovered that ore was trading with nations as far as India and as, to the east and as far as Turkey towards the west in the Mediterranean world. That's why ore became a very rich and powerful kingdom and became the center of the Sumerian and Akkadian kingdom during the time of ur Namo. But, you know, power corrupts Right? And absolute power corrupts absolutely because ur and his, he was a very good leader, but later on his son and his descendants became very corrupt. And later on, they began to monopolize the economy of Ur, and because of that, many of the workers started revolting against them. And to make stalling short, you know, wealthy farmers started buying all the lands and started what is called private economy. Okay? It was before Everything before was controlled by the government, but later on, it became, they developed private economy because of the rebellion of the people, the wealthy farmers, because the, the nobles were trying to control everything. And there was at a time of economic instability, and people were losing income. And many believe it was in during that context that Terra, the father of Abraham, decided to leave Ur, because of the economic instability of the city. Okay? So can we Take a look here. Okay. So they left Ore because of that and they settled. They were supposed to go to Canaan. See this? Okay. The goal was to go to Canaan. Okay. Canaan was towards the west. Now, Terra decided to leave Or, and he wanted to find, you know, greener pastures elsewhere because of the economic instability and in Ore. But instead of going to Canaan, which was the original uh, destination, he decided to settle in Haran, okay? And Haran was to the north of Canaan, which is southern Turkey bordering Syria today, okay? And while he was there, that's where he died, okay? It was from there in Haran that God calls Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, leave your father, and go to the land I will show you. And then he gave him promises to make him a great nation, and he said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I mentioned last time, God was moving from blessing to curse and then curse to blessing. From Genesis chapter 1-11, to 11, we saw mankind moving from the blessings of creation to the curse. And beginning with the call of Abraham, we start with the concept of the curse and moving towards blessing. Because the story of Abraham, the setting of the story of Abraham, started with death, his brother, dies, chapter 11, and then his wife is barren, okay? And thirdly, later on, when they get into the, prom, into the land of Canaan, famine strikes the land. So three things, death, the barren womb, and the barren land. These were the three curses pronounced by God on Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Cursed be the ground because of you. It no longer cooperates with you. You are dust and to dust shall stern, just death. Cursed be your womb, Eve. In painful toil, you will bring forth children. The three things that God cursed was the setting of the Abram story. God was trying to show in the call of Abram that he was moving history from curse towards the blessing. Amen? And he uses a father. Listen to this. He calls a man to be a father so that the blessings of God can be restored back to humanity through this father. Okay? Can you say to the person beside you, fathers are the channels of hope. And blessing to the world. You see, God called Abraham not to do any spectacular thing like he did with Moses. Moses became, you know, the hero who brought Israel out of Egypt. You know, the man that God used to send those ten plagues to Egypt to defeat Pharaoh of Egypt. You know, uh, he opened the Red Sea. Wow! Yeah, right? Awesome, right? But God called Abraham not to be a great guy like Moses. God called Abraham to fulfill only one important role, to be a father. Just to be a father. The right kind of father. Okay, do you understand that? So God is going to use Abraham to build a nation which nation later on will become the channel of blessing to the whole world. Of course, we know that it's fulfilled through his descendant Jesus Christ, and we will see that later on in our series, okay? So, here is the Comparison between Genesis 12 and 22, in both, only twice in the Old Testament, you see this unique term, go, leave, okay? The word in Hebrew is lek, lekha. Normally in Hebrew, when you say go, you say lek lek. okay? Uh, but here, it's lek, lekha, and this phrase appears only twice in the entire Old Testament. In chapter 12, which is the call of Abraham. And chapter 22, which is the biggest test of Abraham, when God calls him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and comparing the two shows that the narrative is narrated in almost the same words, with almost the same words, to show us that we must compare these two narratives because they are connected. So here we find Abraham at the beginning of his journey of faith in chapter 12, and later on, the climax of his journey of faith is in chapter 22 when he's called to sacrifice his only beloved son Isaac to him. And they lose both of these. just leklika. Leklika means go for your own benefit. Go walk the path that has been set apart for you alone. Go walk this unique purpose that I have prepared for you. Go for yourself. That's what it literally means, okay? So for each one of us, God has his own unique purpose, okay? And you notice the similarity of language. I'm not going to go back to that. I'm just summarizing this. Notice the similarity of language between these two scriptures that are meant to be compared together. We will see the significance of that when we get to chapter 22. And so, okay, here's the map. There you are. He left ore here. And he followed the normal trade routes, because again, most of the major traders converge in ore, if you can see. And then he follows this trade route to Koran, and instead of going to Kanaan, which is down here, Therak, the father of Abram, decided to stop there and settle there in Karan. Okay? And remember last week, why did he settle in, in, in Karan instead of proceeding to his original plan to go to Canaan? Because Karan was in many ways similar to Ur. The, the primary god, the god that Ur worships is the moon god. And Hran also worships the moon god by a different name. His name is Sin in Quran, but in Or's name is Nanar, okay? So this, is where the, this was the God that the father of Abraham was worshipping before they left the land. So I also showed you this map, okay? This is how Ur looked like in the time of Avram, okay? This is facing north up there. This is the Euphrates River. By this, they were able to move north, and by going here, they moved towards the Persian Gulf area to move to other nations. So this is the birth, and according to Joshua, the father of Abraham, Terak, worshipped other gods. Actually, they worshipped the moon god. Okay? And we found the ziggurat there. This is the largest ziggurat in the entire Sumerian area. Okay? In ancient Iraq, that's the biggest one. In fact, part of it still exists today if you go to, to Iraq. Okay? And then we have this god, the moon god, Sin or Nanar, who is worshipped by, by Terah, the father of Abraham. Okay? And this is another map of Ur. This is facing north here and then facing west, okay? And again, we see dominating the city is the ziggurat, dedicated to the moon god Nanar, okay? That's the the god that Terah, the father of Abraham, was worshipping. Okay, now when they get to the land of Canaan, we're going to move on in the story. Now, Abraham moved. He moved from Haran because of God's call and now moved towards Canaan. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev, so Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, why would Lot go with him? Lot was his nephew, the son of Nakor, his brother, who died in Ur. In other words, Lot was an orphan. So why do you think Lot went with Abraham? He was not part of the call. God called Abraham to leave his father in Haran and go to the land of Israel. Of course, he would bring his wife Sarai. He had no son yet, okay, because his wife was barren, but Lot went with him. In fact, Lot later on will become a source of trouble for Abram, his nephew. Now, why do you think Lot went with him? They became very rich in Haran, by the way. Eh? When they settled in Haran, Abraham became richer in Haran because if you look at this, they took all their possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So while they were there in Haran, where his father settled, they became very rich. Okay, and they acquired a lot of people, a lot of slaves, a lot of servants, and, you know, his own family, his own family, of course, he had no family uh, because he only had his father and his relatives there. So he was able to get a lot of servants and a lot of flocks, particularly goats and sheep. This is the most common one in the ancient Near East. Okay, so they accumulated all the people they had acquired in Haran. That means God blessed them in Haran. But God said, "I want you to leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and proceed to Kanaan, down there." Okay? So let me ask you: Why do you think Lot went with him? Now, when they have they're so they're already so secure in Quran. why leave that? Okay? Why would Lot want to leave instead of staying with the relatives? Okay, there are two reasons possible. Number one, he was an adventurer. In fact, we'll discover in the story of Abraham later on that he's truly an adventurer. And we'll see how that unfolds in the story of Abraham, okay? But Abraham decided to take him. Possible because Abraham knew that he was an orphan was going to take care of him. Okay, so to make the story short, they came together. And this is the setting of the story because later on, you'll we'll see that Lot and Abraham will have a quarrel. Okay, and they arrived there. And so, when they got into Canaan, where did they go? Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Mori at Shechem. You know where Shechem is today? It is in the West Bank. It is called Nablus today. There's the city of Nablus today in the West Bank. Shechem, okay, is part of Samaria. Can we say Samaria? Samaria in, in, in Israel is called Shomron, okay? At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram there at Shechem and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. We have two problems here. When God said to Abram at Shechem, to your descendants, I will give this land, there were two things that contradicted the promise of God. Number one, Sarai, his wife, was barren. So how can a barren wife produce descendants? God said, to your descendants, I will give this land. What land? The land that was owned by the Canaanites. In fact, for the entire life of Abraham, in the story of Abraham in the Bible, he never acquired a single piece of property except the cave of Machpelah, where he buried his wife, Sarai. In other words, he owned not a single inch of ground in the whole land throughout his lifetime. And yet God said to your descendants, I will give this land. How can this land be mine and my descendants? Everybody here owns it except me. Okay? Again, that's a contradiction. Okay? How can you say this land is your promise to me when I, have not, I don't even have a single piece of ground except the one I had to pay for just to bury my wife Sarai? So the word of God here that was given to Abraham was contradicted by his own experience. you see that? And then we said last week, God's word will often contradict your experience. Or if God gives you a promise, He will move in ways that contradict the promise that He gave to you. Okay? And we understood that this was part of God's way to make you even more dependent on Him so that He can show you what He can do. Okay? The reason why we don't worship God is because we're so focused on what we do. I'm so good, I'm so successful, I'm so rich, I've got a car, I've got this, I've got that, you know. You feel so good when you're successful, right? Right? Success makes you feel good, right? When you achieve your dreams, you feel so good about yourself, right? Right? When you have everything that you want, you feel so good about yourself. That's exactly what God did not want Abraham to continue to enjoy. Because it gives you a false sense of security. All these things that you, are, you feel good about are not permanent. They're only temporal. You don't base your security on things that don't last. Because in the end, you will be disappointed and frustrated. you understand that? That's why when God gives you a promise, it will often contradict your circumstances, or He will move in a way in your life. Let's say you're very secure today and you claim a promise of God, he will move away in such that all your securities that you hold him will begin to go away one at a time. He begins to build obstacles along the way. Okay? And we find here, God was starting with Abraham in contradiction. In fact, right after this, he continues to move on, He he, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Avram set out and continued toward the Negev." I want you to notice the places where he was going was away from the cities, okay? The great tree of Moreh at Shechem was away from the city of Shechem. It was outside. Bethel and Ai are cities, but he settled in the middle where there were no people. Later on, he migrated towards the south, the Negev. Later on, he will, that place will be called Beersheba. And there are no people there. But he was able to dig wells so that he and his herds and his family were survive. So here, he was avoiding cities. And can you, do you wonder why he's trying to avoid cities? He was a foreigner in a foreign land, Right? And of course, if you're a foreigner, you'd be wise to keep away from cities, lest your people begin to notice that you're new here. Hey, who are you? Why are you here in our land? Okay? So to avoid any possible threats, right? Against his own security. So it's to avoid cities. So avoid trouble. Okay? But listen to this. He has a lot of herds. Where is he going to get water? For his herds and for his family. That's why he had to dig wells. By the time we get to the Negev, he started digging wells. Because the Negev is pure desert. You know, in our concept today, a desert is a flat land with sand, right? Is that your concept of desert? Desert is a flat land with lots of sand. You're thinking about Sahara when you think about desert, right? Not the Judean desert. The Judean desert are rolling hills of solid rock. No sand, all rock baked under the sun. No plants, all rock, and there are mountainous and hilly, not flat land, okay? That is the Negev, and Abraham has to dig wells in order to survive because they were far away from the cities that had more access to springs near the Dead Sea or near the Jordan River, okay? And so here, he went down and he called upon the name of the Lord, did Abraham, and continued toward the Negev. Let me ask you a question. Did Avram believe the promise of God when God said to your descendants, I will give this land, even though it was contradicting his experience? His wife was barren, and the land was owned by the Canaanites. Do you think he believed God's promise? How do you know? Because after he received the promise, here, after he heard the promise, Okay, here, that's the promise he made, God gave him, so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. To build an altar is an expression of honoring a deity. The fact that he built an altar to Yahweh who spoke to him, this promise, which is contradicting his experience, he chose to believe what God said, even though his wife was barren, even though the land was owned by the Canaanites. The understand this. is, can you say to the person beside you, faith is a choice that takes God at His word, even if my circumstances contradict His word. The understand this. there's always a tension between God's promises and your circumstances. There will always be a tension. But this is God's way of moving in our lives. Now, let's go on. So when they get there to the Negev, something happens. The Negev, again, is pure desert. It is very dependent on the little rainfall that you can get. And even if you dig wells, after a certain time, they run dry. Okay? Because of lack of rain. So what happens? Now there was famine in the land. God promised this land to Abraham, and now it's got famine. How promising. Right? Later on, when God will read, uh, lead the descendants of Abraham from Egypt, the Israelites, he promised them, I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. That was 400 years later. A land flowing with milk and honey. But during this time, it doesn't look like a land flowing with milk and honey. Because it's known for famines. In fact, both Abraham and Isaac experienced famine in the land in their lifetime. Okay, And because of that famine, Abraham had to move to Egypt. Because Egypt was a very, you know, secure civilization because of the Nile River. They have the Nile River to feed the civilization, okay? And so, they went to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. God gives you a promise, right? And then your situation gets worse. You have experienced it right now. God gives you a promise, I'm gonna bless you! And then your situation gets worse. Now you have famine. (laughs) and so you have to find you know a way out of that you've got to do something about it there's a need I've got to do something about it and so Abraham thought of the most logical thing to do go to a place where there's water and food and the nearest place during the time of famine was down there in Egypt okay was he being a good father by looking for resources when there was no more food of course right he went down to Egypt, city, and while they were there in Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, and you will discover this is not the first time he made this agreement, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Wow. I, w- I hope husbands always say that to their wives. Amen? <laughs> Kung makatabi po husband, can you say to your wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. What a beautiful woman you are. Abram knows how to affirm his wife, right? But <laughs> there's an anticlimax. He looks, he seems to be very romantic, right? Sounds very loving. That is so far from the truth because of what follows. I know you're a beautiful woman. That's why I married you, okay? But look at what follows. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So, <laughs> so, say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Are you getting what he's trying to say? He's saying, I don't care if the king takes you to his harem. Bye-bye. But so long as I'm alive. <laughs> you haven't gotten the jolt yet? He's very selfish. Very selfish. And he's living in fear. He cannot even trust God to protect him. He has to find a way to protect himself by lying and by putting the future and the life of his wife at risk by allowing her to be taken by Pharaoh. Goodbye. Do you think Pharaoh is gonna bring back his wife after having time with her? No, he's going to keep her in her harem forever. That means that Abraham will lose Sarai as his wife. But for Abraham, it's okay so long as I'm alive. How many of you women would like to hit Avram on the head right now? Is that a man of faith? No. He's trying to protect himself in a way that will jeopardize and sacrifice the well-being of his own wife. And you say to the person beside you, Never sacrifice your wife for your own well-being it is the husband the man that sacrifices himself for his wife amen ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so who sacrifices for whom the man sacrifices for the happiness and well-being of his wife not vice versa amen The man is the one who makes the sacrifices for the happiness of the wife, not vice versa. Because, you know, God doesn't have to tell wives to be sacrificial for their husbands because wives and mothers are by nature already sacrificial. Because they know what love is all about. You understand that? Women will sacrifice their lives for their children. Sacrifice everything. You understand that? Men will sacrifice a lot of things just for their significance and identity. But God calls on the man to sacrifice for the happiness of your wife and your children. That's the word of God. Amen. If Abraham was living in our day, I will tell him to attend Medivh Integrity International. I'd have to lecture him about how to love a wife. You understand this? So. Was Abraham full of faith in the beginning? He recognized, you know, these people are new here. We came from Ur and Haran. People don't know us here. And kings in ancient times have the habit of killing the husband of the woman they want. Remember King David? In order to hide his affair with with Bathsheba, he had the husband of Bathsheba, a very loyal soldier to him, killed in the, in the battle, even though he was very loyal to him as the king. What a traitor. Because he wanted Bathsheba. That was the habit of kings. And Abram knows that his wife is too beautiful to escape being noticed by Pharaoh and the officials of Egypt. Everybody would want to have him as one of their women. And if you're the relative, good for you. If you're the brother, good for you. If you're the parents of the woman, good for you. Because the nobles or the kings will give you a lot of dowry, money, in order to give him your beloved sister or daughter. But if you're the husband, he will kill you to get your wife. Do you understand this? Okay? So Abraham here was not yet full of faith. He was living in fear. And I'm telling you, men, as fathers, we will always be faced with circumstances in our lives that can make us very desperate. Because God seems to move in contradiction to His promises. The famine in the land was very far from what Abram hoped for this land to be a promise to him. And there's no water! So disappointed. Where are the promises of God? I will bless you, I will bless you, I will bless you. What's the blessing? I'll die here, right? And so I have to go to the city. I left the city. God commanded me to leave the city, and I have to go back to the city. because where security is. And there in the city, he has to lie. Okay, and what happens? Now, how many want to know, why did God allow Abraham to lie and to go to Egypt? Why couldn't God provide for Abram at the Negev? Why didn't God protect Abram from the famine? Cannot God provide for him without having to go to Egypt? You understand the questions here? You know, sometimes when you're in a very desperate situation, decision-making is very difficult when you have very few options to take. True or false. Right? Abraham can decide to stay and you know, try to find ways to get water right? Especially when the wells are running dry, right? But the other way is to go to a place that is very secure, the city. Abraham's move towards Egypt, listen to this, is a move away from his faith in God. He cannot trust God anymore. He has to found his own way. But he was a being a good father by doing that. But listen to the consequences. When Abraham came to Egypt, The Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Because, I'm your brother, you're my sister. Okay? So, he treated Abraham well for her sake. Ah, Abraham's plan worked. I'm your brother, you're my sister. Okay? So that, the Pharaoh won't kill me, he's gonna bless me." <laughs> Didn't God say, I will bless you, Abram? Well, Abraham seems to be getting the blessing his way by lying and deceiving, right? He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Avram acquired sheep and cattle, many female donkeys, many female servants, and comes. Boy, did the Pharaoh make him even more rich! Filthy rich because of a lie and because of a betrayal of a wife that he was willing to send off to Pharaoh's harem just for his own protection. You still like Abram? Still like him? You know, the worst of a man's character comes out when he is in crisis. You sometimes won't really know who you really are until you are in crisis. Because every crisis will reveal the true character of a person, whether you're a man or a woman. And God allowed Avram to go into a crisis of famine in order for him to recognize where he needed to change. You understand that, Okay. Did God allow him to escape this act of lying and betrayal of his wife and scath? Well, listen to what happens, okay? So, wow, Abraham was enjoying his time in Egypt. Wow, more wealth, more hurt. Goodbye, Sarai. See you in the next life. Okay? But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. Oops. And his house with great plagues. In Hebrew, Naga Nego, which means sent powerful plagues against Pharaoh. By the way, it's the same words that will be used in the Exodus when God will send 10 plagues against the Pharaoh in the time of Moses. Same words. Same words, okay? Because of those plagues, we don't know exactly what the plagues were, but if you look at the 10 plagues of Egypt in the time of Moses, you can guess which one of those happened could be the birth, it could be death in the family, right? We don't know, okay? Boils maybe? We don't know, okay? So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Now how did you know? How did he know? How did he know that Abram lied? You know, in ancient times, when bad things happen to a kingdom, the king will always consult his wizards, fortune tellers, and all the wise men and obviously somebody must have said the reason why this my maj- our majesty is happening to you is because that woman is this man's wife abram i made you rich and this is what i get why did you not tell me she was your wife all my officials told me that you told them that she was your sister okay Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, he is your wife. Take her and go. (laughs) You know, if if Avram loses Sarai permanently, the promises of God will be jeopardized. Because God destined Sarai to be the mother of the child that will be the heir of the covenant promises of God to Avram. That was Isaac. You understand this because of Abram's fear because of Abram's lying Sarai's future and the future of Isaac was about to be compromised and in order to save in order to protect his purpose God had to intervene and to see to it that the Pharaoh will never touch Sarai and Sarai will get back to Abram because God has a plan for Sarai to become the mother of nations Are still here? Now this is a very comforting thing for you and me. Sometimes we make mistakes, we make blunders, and some of our wrong decisions can jeopardize God's purposes for us. You understand this? But let me tell you this, God is too sovereign to be defeated by your wrong decisions. God is too sovereign to be threatened, limited, by your wrong decisions in life. God found a way to get Sarai back in track. You understand that? Amen? Nobody even saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Everybody makes a lot of mistakes in life. Amen? How many of you made really major mistakes in your life that... You may still be suffering today from the consequences of those wrong major decisions of your life. But if you're going to trust God, if your life is in the hands of God, even if you make those mistakes, God has a way to keep His purpose intact. You understand? And this is because of God's mercy and grace. Because you belong to Him. If you did not belong to Him, He wouldn't care about you. you understand that? But listen to this, but not without consequences for Abram. The conscious guys, he was publicly humiliated. Publicly humiliated. That means from that day on, he can never go back to Egypt ever again. You understand that? Now listen to this. God made it happen that way because he never wanted Avram to go down to Egypt in the first place. How do we know that? Because in the story of Isaac, God warned Isaac when there was also a famine in the land, no, do not go down to Egypt as your father did. Okay? You want to see that? In Acts chapter 20, uh, Genesis chapter 26? So Isaac experienced the same famine as it, there was in the time of Abraham. Look at verse 1 okay, of Genesis 26. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Next verse, and look at this. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land there in Gerar where I tell you to live. So what is the warning? Your dad was so wrong. He went down to Egypt instead of trusting me. I could have brought him to a place where he can feed his family and his flocks. But he decided to go down to the city. I already called him from the city of Ur. I called him out of the city of Haran. Now he wants to go back to the city. Don't you dare go down to Egypt, Isaac. Don't you dare go down in this famine. Now why is it that God never wanted Abraham to go down to Egypt? Because Egypt was a city. And in the book of Genesis, there is strong anti-city sentiment because cities are centers of man-made security apart from God. This is where man becomes God, and they don't care about the true God. They can worship other gods that serve them, but they don't want to serve a God that demands righteousness and holiness from them. That's why the gods of the ancient civilizations were very Acceptable to the peoples because these were gods who will give you anything you want. You just give them food Just give them food offerings food 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 and he will make you rich this God's will give you everything you want Without having to be righteous without having to be holy You don't need to change your life just to be blessed by these gods. They'll give you everything you want to spoil you They wouldn't care about how you live so long as you give them food 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 You understand this? But the true God demands righteousness and holiness if you want him to bless you. You have to keep your life on track, okay? So don't go on to Egypt. The city afforded people an alternative to the true God. That's where man was in control. And whenever man is in control, he creates his own security. And he forgets about the true God. Do you understand this? That's why I told you last week, living in the city is a great challenge to your spirituality. Because you have so many diversions, alternatives, alternative securities. Pag may problema ka? Do you pray? No, no, watch a movie, watch Netflix. No? When you're troubled, do you pray? No, you go out with your barcade and have some good time. Right? Right? When you're longing for affirmation, oh, go to FB every day and get all the likes that you need to be affirmed. Nima? No? Do you go to God to let Him affirm His love for you? No need. I have a lot of affirmations around, especially FB. Do you understand that? Okay? Do you like to communicate with God? No need. I have messenger. I have this. I have iMessage. I can communicate anytime, anywhere, even when I'm in the cubeta. Anyone can communicate with me. Do you need to communicate with God? I'm full of communication. (laughs) Do you know that your greatest... Hindrance to your spirituality can be your smartphone. The greatest obstacle to your life with God could be your computer or your laptop. Because this is what the city gives you. It gives you a false sense of identity significance. It gives you a false sense of security because everything you need is being met in the city by man-made means, not God's. That's why God's tendency is to lead His people out of the city so they will learn to find Him as their true security because God is the source of everything. And He can give you more than the city can give you if you walk with Him. Do you understand this? And so Abraham made the mistake of going back to the city, trusting in man-made security rather than trusting in God. Not only the warning was given to Isaac, but later in the book of Isaiah, God warned Israel, do not go down to Egypt to get horses. Never go down to Egypt. Blessed is a man who trusts in God, whose trust is not in man, and cursed be the man who trusts in man, Man man-made security. But blessed are you when your trust is in God alone. Do you know the reason why God wants us to steer away from all false securities? To replace him as the one true source of your security. Because listen to this carefully, uh, and I want you to memorize this truth. Anything you worship, anything that you draw your security primarily from that is not God, will soon corrupt you. It will soon corrupt you. Anything that you're drawing your security from primarily that is not God will ultimately corrupt your character, corrupt your values because it puts you at the center rather than God. When you worship God, you're always reminded that He is the center. He is the source and you humble yourself. you understand this? But when you put your security on things that you can control, you can control your money, your business, anything, you become God. Because you are secure with what you control. Ultimately, that sense of power and control is going to corrupt you and lead you away from God. That is why God called Avram to leave the city Because there was no way he can build a real relationship with God in the city. Because God wants pure, unadulterated commitment and devotion to him. God wants us to love him according to the word of God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. You can never love God that way if you have so many false securities that you're holding on in this life apart from God. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And he also said, no man can serve two masters. You can serve God and mammon, the God of material things. At the same time, you will love the one and you will hate the other. You'll be loyal to the one, but you'll be unfaithful to the other. God alone demands your absolute worship. Because that kind of worship is what purifies you. That kind of worship brings out the right character in you. It draws out the right values in you because you are following a God was revealed to you his will and his purpose and your commitment is to follow him and depend on him for all your needs do you understand this the story of abraham is a movement from security from the city of Aran. It's a movement from security to uncertainty god leads you towards uncertainty because he wants you to discover where real security is found he brings you into uncertainty so you will discover that only god can give you security. Do you understand this? I don't know where you are right now in your life. I don't know where you're struggling with. Whatever your crisis is, God meant it to happen in your life for one reason, to teach you that you need Him. That you are not sufficient. And when you come to God and you will say, God, you alone are the source. Forgive me for all my pride. Forgive me for all my dependence on my man-made securities because they are never last. Even the love in marriage doesn't always last. Nothing on earth really lasts. Only God and His Word endures forever. Amen? For those of you who are struggling with very desperate situations, hold on to the promise of God. This is my last statement this morning. The faith of Abraham teaches us that faith means holding on to the promise of God even when my circumstances contradict it, and holding on until the promises changes my circumstances. In another way, Faith is holding on to the Word of God, even when my circumstances contradict it, and holding on until the Word of God changes my circumstances, because it will at the proper time. Heaven and earth will pass away, even your circumstances will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And you will see God coming to you at the right time to meet your need, because you chose to trust in Him, no matter what happens. God allows contradictions to happen so that in the end, He can show you that He is bigger than the contradictions because He will show you one by one, He's going to bring down those condemnations and show you, I am God and I am God alone. Everything that, that, God, that God does in your life ultimately is intended to bring you back to the place of worship that you recognize that truly you are God. You are able to overcome every obstacle that stood in the way, every contradiction that you brought in life, you took them away at the proper time. Truly, you are God. And that's the purpose why God brings those contradictions so that in the end, He can show you, I am God. Yeah. Worship me. Because I can deal with all of those. I brought them into your life. I can take them away anytime. I am testing you whether you will put your trust in me my word will endure forever but your circumstances is only temporary shall they bow in prayer father in heaven we confess all our doubts like abram we confess our fear we confess lord the times and we can no longer believe your word because we allow our circumstances to be our final authority instead of recognizing that your Word alone is final authority in the universe. By your Word, you brought all things into existence. By your Word, all creation came to be. Your Word is the most powerful force in the entire universe. He said in Isaiah 55, Your Word will never return to you empty, but it will fulfill the purpose for which you have sent your Word. Once you give your promise, heaven and earth will pass away but your promise will be fulfilled. Father, I pray that the faith of the fathers will grow strong, that they will be firm in their faith in you, no matter what crisis be, uh, affects their families and their homes. Help them stand to be fathers of faith like Abraham. They on when he ultimately demonstrated the maturity of faith. Like Abraham, Lord, we falter and fall. Like Abraham, we make bad decisions because of fear, because of panic, because of unbelief and doubt. We are led to make bad decisions in life. That later on, reap regret in our lives. Forgive us for not holding on to you. Forgive us for not holding on to your word. Because we know your word will change our circumstances in due time. Father, we thank you for reminding us. Bless the fathers here, O oh Lord, that they may rise up to be strong men of faith for their families, that even though things may go contradictory against your promises, they will say, this is just God's ways, this is just God's style. God will deal with the contradictions because God will fulfill His promise. Lord, we thank you for this and we declare God will always provide, even in the face of contradictions. When Abram said to his son Isaac whom he was about to kill, God will provide a lamb. I thank you, Father, and we bless your name. Renew us as we renew our faith before you. In Jesus' name,